Brother Bob mentioned actually uh, since Troy, but you began to support me while I was actually in Springville. And uh, as I moved to Troy uh, to change the war, uh, change uh, locations there and to start a new work in Troy, uh, this congregation was without hesitation willing to uh, continue their support in me doing that. So I am uh, very appreciative of that, and my wife and family are as well, and you continue to support us, and we're so thankful uh, for that support. And we ask that you continue to keep us in your prayers and all of those things as well. I do intend to challenge us all. Of course, as a gospel preacher, the challenge begins with me first, and of course extends to all those who are within an earshot of the things that we'll say. And I want to uh, reiterate what Brother Bob said. I hope that you open your Bibles and study along with me. Uh, I don't mind. Uh, as a matter of fact, I encourage questions and questioning of the things that I might say. But I assure you that I'll give you a Bible answer to the best of my ability. And we, you know, I'm going to stand on what I say and believe, and I hope that you'll stand on what you say and believe, and we'll just open up our Bibles and see what God says. And if I'm incorrect in anything, uh, I will make those corrections, and I hope you'll have that same attitude as well. So I'm thankful to be here. You know, we live in a world that seems to be uh, in great concern and disarray. But the one thing that I want us to uh, look at this morning in our Bible class period, in our AM uh, worship uh, uh, service, is the faithfulness of God. Uh, As we look at the scriptures, it is imperative that we understand that God has been faithful, God will be faithful, and there's no reason whatsoever for us to be uncertain in what we're doing in the faith that God has commanded and required of each and every one of us. And as Christians, as members of the Lord's church, we cannot allow ourselves to fall into the doubt, which leads to people becoming imaginative and and, uh, creative regarding God's promise, thinking that for some reason, God needs our assistance in fulfilling his promise. Now, I do understand God needs us to carry out the gospel, carry out the work that he's given us to do, which Christians understand. We do have a great responsibility, work, and role to do is regarding God's promise. But at the same time, we need to understand that we do not need to reinvent God's plan, God's will. And I want us to look at a promise that God had made, the promise, actually, uh, in these two, uh, two periods of Bible study this morning, and to see how God's faithfulness has continued throughout humanity's history and how it continues even in our day and time. And, and, and hopefully it will help us to see that God is faithful in all things and will remain faithful. Having said that, I'd like for us to turn to Galatians chapter 3. And I want us to begin in verse 15. As I'm sure we're all aware, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote the epistle to the churches of Galatia, uh, actually addressing a specific issue. And it was one where people really had lost sight of the promise. As a matter of fact, there were those who Paul would write to that he was greatly concerned about. And this is one of Paul's most sternest uh, epistles. It's very harsh. It's very direct. Uh, Now, of course, it's always with love and and kindness as the Holy Spirit would inspire Paul to do these things. But nevertheless, Paul is extremely direct uh, in this epistle. And, of course, the problem was you had a group of, of Jewish Christians called Judaizers. We call them Judaizers that that were 
endeavoring to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, instead of just obeying the gospel as uh, commanded by Jesus through his apostles and those uh, who would proclaim his word, they believed that they needed to add to that gospel to ensure that the Gentiles, in their minds, would truly be saved. In other words, they became inventive. And by inventive, yes, they even reached back and pulled out something that God had ordained in times past and tried to implement that, of course, a circumcision uh, that the Gentiles brother had to be circumcised as well as obey the gospel and keep the customs of Moses or they could not be saved. So Paul, in addressing this issue, would write to these churches and trying to remind them to look. You need to adhere to the promise that God has set forth. As a matter of fact, this promise goes way, 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 way back. And God is faithful and God knows exactly what he's doing and what he's talking about. And we do not need to add, or they did not need to add, nor do we need to add to God's word. And so Paul writes this epistle to, a, uh, to deal what actually had been already set forth and established as we go back in Acts chapter 15 by the Holy Spirit himself. He being the authority, uh, as they would go to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles and the elders there, the Holy Spirit being the authority, they would go back and they were able to the miracles that Paul and Barnabas had done, uh, the Old Testament scripture, uh, that James would speak of, as well as the conversion of Cornelius and his household, as told by the Apostle Peter, to say that the Gentiles truly have the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in writing this, and I like to begin in verse number 15, reminds them of the promise that God had made. And of course, we need to extend in our day and time, uh, go through time and see that we, too, are recipients of this promise, just as God has set forth, and there is no changing, no uh, uh, altering of God's promise, and we need to understand that as well. So in Galatians 3 and verse number 15, Paul writes, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, Not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 uh, 30 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of God of none effect. But if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression. To the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not the me a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were all kept under the law, shut up into the faith which should hereafter or afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'd like to speak to us this morning about the seed promise. 
The promise that the Apostle Paul is referring to, one that goes all the way back to the beginning, and God ensured that his promise would be carried out and kept throughout the history of humanity and even extending to us this day. Now, I do know that most of the things that we're going to talk about, the things that we're going to see, you probably already know. Being the students of the Bible that you are, I'm sure I'm not going to say anything that is new to you or foreign to you, but just as the Apostle Peter would say, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yea, I think as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by re- uh, reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So not going to say anything you don't know, but hopefully it will help us to, to remember, to consider very seriously our role. In our own salvation and in the promise of God. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Now, I believe as we go back to the beginning, the Bible speaks of four one seed occurrences in humanity's history. Four one seed occurrences. And we're going to look at those. Now, those two occurrences, the four occurrences are by way of two physical seeds or promises and then two spiritual occurrences. Okay, two physical and two spiritual now, when it comes to the physical seed promise, that which God came, uh, gave brother through man, through humanity, all mankind, we have to go back to the beginning. In Genesis, of course, chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4, Moses was right in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, uh, of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. All familiar with that verse. But then we go to Genesis 1 and verse 26 and 27. Here's where we come in. The Bible tells us, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let him have, uh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. Uh, in the image of God, he created male and female, created he them. And so we see that man was created. And of course, it would be according to the promise that God would make before even creation. That man would need to be redeemed. And so we go to Genesis 1 and verse 28 and we see that God would give a command to Adam and Eve, the first two people or or humans that God had created. Of course, Adam from the dust of the field and Eve from Adam. Then God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Then we find in Genesis 2 and verses 2 through 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And so God finished his work. God had done all to prepare for his most prized possession, his prized creation, humanity. And yes, I know there are probably many in the world, as we know there are, that believe no man is not God's most prized uh, creation. But we are. We're the ones who have dominion over everything. And, and no, we have not been created from the things that God created. We were created by God. We did not evolve. We did not develop. We did not pro- uh, progress in essence. We were created by God. And so we, 
of course, know this is Christian. So we have a great advantage over those in the world who reject what God says. Now, as we look at this, uh, this, this physical uh, seed aspect, we, of course, know Adam uh, would know his wife, Eve, and they would have two sons, Cain and Abel. Uh, and we know that Abel would be slain by, and we'll, we'll deal with that in just a moment as well, uh, by Cain. And, of course, they would have another son by the name of Seth. And from Seth, we see this physical seed promise uh, continue. Of course, Enos would be a result of that, and then Noah would be a descendant of him. He would have three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, of course, it would only be through Shem that God would fulfill or, or reveal the promise that he would make. And, of course, from them we have all nations upon the earth. Everybody came from Adam. Everybody either came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and everybody came from Noah. And so we all have a common kinship, a common bond. But now, as we consider the two spiritual seed promises that God had made, we must go to the occurrence in Genesis chapter 3 for us to fully understand and appreciate the spiritual aspect of the seed promise. It was in Genesis chapter 3, and as we know, God had prepared everything for his most prized possession. Man had everything that he needed. Man even had work. So man had all that God intended him to have. And even when Adam, being alone, God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone, of course, would create uh, Eve or make Eve from, again, the rib of Adam. And yes, men, this was according to God's plan. And yes, it's good for us. And I know sometimes we wrestle with that. And of course, our wives would probably say the same thing about us. Why didn't God create us first? <laughs> he didn't create y'all from us. But... God's order is wonderful, it's perfect, it's fine, he, it is good in all aspects. And so, it was there that man had everything. But now God gave a command that man was able to eat of every tree that was in the garden, the fruit of every tree. But there was one that man was prohibited to partake of. And of course, that was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God forbade man to partake of that tree, but... The Bible then introduces to us our great nemesis, our enemy, our adversary, and that is Satan himself. And so Moses reveals the introduction of Satan into the lives of God's creation, mankind. Now, the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, then the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. And of course, you can, you can eat of that. Don't, don't worry about that. God knows that in the day of you eat, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And so Satan deceived Eve. He tricked Eve. And Eve fell for it. And of course, Adam, I believe the scriptures teach us, allowed all of this to happen. Having the headship did not take the initiative to step in and do things, uh, do what God had given him to do as far as being the head of the woman. And so we see that from that sin entered into the world. The Apostle Paul would later say in the New Covenant, the New Testament, therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sin. And I know our Calvinistic neighbors and co-workers and various uh, aspects of our lives believe that no, we are all bound or, or cursed by Adam's sin. No, we all sin ourselves. As a matter of fact, Paul would go on to say, not those who have sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, but we all have sinned. 
And we all are guilty of the punishment of our sins. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But that's how sin entered into the world, and that's how death entered into the world by sin. And so we see that we have been affected by that because we too sin by that, uh, from sin entering into the world, we too sin. But now God, being the merciful, loving, kind, gracious, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God from the foundation of the world knew that men would do this. God did not make us do it. God did not, uh, God was not pleased that it was done, but God knew that men would do this. So he established a means by which man would be redeemed before the world was, Peter says. And so we see in Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse number 15, the first revealing of the plan of salvation. Now remember, Moses wrote this, but of course man had been in existence long before Moses, but God revealed to his people Israel what had happened and what he did as a response to that and what he would continue to do as uh, a response to what occurred in the garden. So Moses, long after these events, would reveal to Israel those who God would separate from all others. They needed to know what happened. They needed to know the plan. They needed to know the promise. Just as we, as the Israel of God in our day and time, need to know the same things. And so we find that God revealed this promise. He told the serpent, and I will put enmity. I will put a hatred, a, a variance, an animosity, basically, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, will, uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we see God revealing to us that there would be a Savior. And that Savior would be his son, Jesus Christ, as we see Paul speaking of going back to Galatians chapter 3. And so it's from here that we find the revelation of that promise and everything in between. Of course, we'll find the fulfillment of that promise and then we'll see how God set forth that promise and made sure that that promise was carried out uh, by his great attributes and his wonderful nature. And so we find in Genesis 3 and verse 23 through 20, uh, 24, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. Of course, uh, Adam as well as Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden, from paradise, and were not allowed to enter in. Therefore they did not have access to the tree of life, the Bible tells us. Uh, uh, sent rather him out of the garden of uh, Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at the east uh, of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Man did not have access to the tree of life anymore. Now, of course, we find later in the New Testament and we'll deal with this as uh, uh, the Apostle John would write there are three things that entered into the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These things were uh, by which uh, Satan rather tempted Eve. That's how she was tempted to sin against God. That's how we're tempted to sin against God. It's the same, same things by the same being, Satan. And we also must overcome the way that God has promised or God rather has commanded us to be able to overcome these things that are uh, three things that have entered into the world. And so we see that man has been separated from the paradise that God established for him. Then we find in Genesis chapter 4, now Adam knew his wife, even she conceived. Remember, God told him to go, for, uh, go and multiply and, and fill, the, uh, fill the earth. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain 
was a tiller of the ground. And notice in Genesis 4, verses 3 through 5, Moses goes on to say, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering unto the uh, offering, rather, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And, uh, and the Lord repent, uh, respected, rather, Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. When sin entered into the world, sacrifice had to be offered. As a result of sin, remember, the Hebrew writer tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That has been the case always, always uh, when man sinned. That was part of the redemptive plan of God, even in the patriarchal mosaic. And as we find in the Christian uh, dispensation, the very precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, had to be shed to redeem man of sin. So it has always been this case. And remember, God could have destroyed man. God could not have just removed man out of the garden. God could have said, that's it. I'm done. But he didn't. And remember, all of these things that we see transpiring, even the offering of his son, Jesus Christ, was done before man was created. God had in his mind already. Jesus had in his mind already. Remember, let us make man in our own image. Jesus, the son of God, the word of God, knew that he would have to offer himself one day for the redemption of the very creation that he created. He knew that. He also knew what kind of death it was going to be and how horrific and painful and agonizing it was going to be. But yet man was still created. And so we see the infinite mercy and grace of God. Now, John would go on to say in the New Testament about Cain and Abel and what transpired here. In First John chapter three, verses 11 through 12. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning, as you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Now, remember, God said, I will place enmity between your seed and her seed. As he told Satan. And see, we see that John is telling us that Cain was of that wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. We'll have more to say about that tomorrow night. Cain killed his brother because his brother was faithful and he wasn't. And remember, he had the opportunity to obey God, to do what God said. Just as Abel did. Now, Cain, as we know, he offered that which he seemed to have uh, was more precious to him. But that's not what God required. That's not what God required. We go back and we see that we find the first really instance of, of liberalism. In other words, not adhering to the standard or measure by which God has commanded. In other words, I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to do it the way I see fit. Not as God commands How did that end up? Well, it ended up in somebody dying. Sin, murder, hatred, variance is the end result of not obeying God. We wonder why. Just just a side note. I have a few side notes here and there. We wonder why people hate us so when we stand for the gospel and proclaim it. They hate us just the way Cain hated Abel. Hopefully our works are righteous and people resent being convicted. The one thing that we know about all humanity, and if we're honest, we'll admit about ourselves, we do not like to be told what to do. Even from God. But Christians realize their need for God, realize the sovereignty of God. And that's why I say, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, I I believe Christians are the ones who truly represent humility. Now, I'm, I'm careful not to say, you know, we're the humblest people on the earth. I'm, I'm not saying it that way, but we do understand the importance of humility. 
How do we understand that? Because we realize that we cannot save ourselves and we are going to do what God says. We're going to obey the gospel. We cannot in and of ourselves save ourselves. Christians understand that. But man, the world hates that knowledge, that fact. And just as Cain killed his brother because he was of that wicked one, Beloved, that's why people hated Jesus the way they did. That's why they hated our our former brothers, such as Paul and Peter, the way they did. And that's why they hate us, if we're proclaiming that now. The world could love us to death. And that normally tells me something about us as Christians, when everybody just loves you to death. And you get along with everybody. That's a red flag for me. That probably means you're not saying much about Jesus Christ. Or you're saying it in a way that Cain tried to represent what he believed. Hey, you do it your way. I do it my way, and we're all fine. We'll have more to say about that tomorrow night. But by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse number 4. Then Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift. In other words, God said he was righteous. Not, not, in, not Abel himself, but God testified that he, he, he was righteous, his gifts were righteous. And notice, and through it, being dead, still speaks. There was a standard set, and it was faith. It was obedience. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Hebrew writer would go on to say in verse 6. For they that come to him must believe that he is, or come to God must believe that he is, and that he's reward of them that diligently seek him. It's always been faith, and that's what Paul is saying as you go back to Galatians chapter 3. It's always been by faith. And so when we consider the spiritual promise again, we we note that, of course, Adam and Eve would have two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel would be killed by Cain, and God would give another son of promise, and that would be Shem. And in Genesis 4, verses 25 through 26, God, uh, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, who Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also was born, a uh, son was born, and he named him Enos. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's a very important point. It was at that time that men began to call, and many commentators say they began to praise the name, the glory of God. Well, what about before that? Well, it doesn't say that. It's at this point, this time, this juncture, that men began to praise God or call on the name of the Lord. Now, we find the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And even the Septuagint bears witness to a degree that the idea of calling on the name of the Lord means to submit to the authority of the Lord. Remember, Paul calling on the name of the Lord uh, was baptized. And so that's the idea of submitting to the acknowledging, acknowledging the Lord, acknowledging the glory of God, uh, as most believe. And so it would be from there that that physical seed and that spiritual seed would continue. It would be through Enosh, Cainan, uh, Malil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech. And here we are again back to Noah. And Noah, a central figure. In the continuation of that seed promise, because remember, the seed of Satan, I believe, well, I, I can't help but think about uh, the Jews in John chapter 8, when, when Jesus said, you're not of my father, you're of your father, the devil. In other words, you're the devil's seed. 
Why? Because you do not do what I command. Again, it goes back to disobedience. It goes back to rejecting the will of God. That's always been the case, and it always will be the case as long as there stands. The dividing mark between those who are in the will of God and those who are outside the will of God is faith. It's obedience. Always has been, always will be. No, not, not, no, it's not your good works. It's not how you feel about God. But what you do in light of what God says, as we've seen, that's always been the case. And it always will be. So man became very wicked. Remember, the, 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 there was an enmity between the woman's seed and the seed of Satan. And so man became so evil. Evil continually. Even imaginations of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. That God said, I'm going to destroy man. He has become too evil. And in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves. Of all whom they chose. And the Lord God said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he, uh, he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And most believe, as I, uh, I do myself, that this is the time that Noah was preparing the ark. And Noah, the Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We also find that Noah judged the world because of his righteousness, because of his faith. And so I believe this is the time the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, being prepared. And so we see that that shows us that God is gracious and God is long suffering. God is not willing to initiate prayers even in our day and time. But know that there's a time when Noah, just as Noah entered into the ark, the doors were shut. That was it. Jesus even says that men were being married and given in marriage to the day that Noah entered into the ark. There's going to be long suffering to the day that that trumpet sounds. And we all have the opportunity to do what God says. The promise, as it was made then, is the same faithful God that continues to make it now. And I want you to note a little subtle. I guess it's subtle. Maybe not. Uh, maybe. Uh, not as subtle as, as perhaps we try to make it. But I believe you have two people here. And we'll see in just a moment. You have the sons or daughters of men. And as we'll see in verses 5 through 7, I believe we have the sons of God. Now, I know, and there may be some here that believe that the sons of God were angelic beings. I, myself, do not hold that position. I do not believe that's the case. I'll, I'll discuss it with anybody. But what I believe is we find a separation in the seed. And notice when you have the sons of God, God's people, began to incorporate themselves with Satan's people, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. I know, I know. We're probably all, and, and I'm, I'm sure. When I walk back here, and uh, we won't have time to discuss it after this period, but I know somebody's going to want to come and discuss with me how they married a non-Christian and how their marriage worked out in the salvation of that non-Christian and how they, for every one of you that has happened to, I'll show you ten where it hasn't. Okay. 
Y'all can look at me like that all you want to. It's been problems from the beginning, and it's going to be problems continually. Genesis chapter five, uh, 6, verses 5 through 7. Moses goes on, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Now, who, who's calling on the name of the Lord now? Doesn't seem like many. Doesn't seem like many at all. As a matter of fact, it seems to be that that praise of God has diminished to this level, to this point. I want you to consider this. That he, uh, he was sorry or repented, some versions say, that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, didn't have to create him, didn't have to create us now. Both man and beast, creeping things, and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made man. And, you know, people oftentimes wonder, well, why do you want to kill the animals? The animals didn't do anything. Well, the animals were made for man. If man's not going to be there, what do you need animals for? They're for us. All this is for us. The heavens declare the glory of God in the Firmament show this handy. I mean, when we look in a star gaze, a starlit sky, that's for our, our benefit. What do you need animals for? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man and his family. Noah found grace. When the sons of God and the daughters of men began to do the things that they did. And, and, and they became evil continually. One man stood firm. He and his family were still faithful to God, still calling on the name of the Lord. He being a descendant of Seth. And it was by him that we're here. It's by Noah's faithfulness to God that we all stand. And why was Noah, why did he find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Noah was obedient and did all that the Lord commanded. Everything. He built the ark the way God, to the very dimensions that God specified. Noah did all that the Lord commanded. And the Bible tells us, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament, 2 Peter 2 and verse number 5, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Peter goes on to say in verse number, chapter 3 and verse 20 of 1 Peter, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved. So in a word, we don't know how many people were on the, uh, uh, on the earth or in the world at that time, but we do know. That of however how many people it was, one man and his family preserved the promise of God. Because God, as we'll see, always, always will fulfill his promise. And there have always been people who stepped up in their faithfulness and obedience to God, believing in the promise that God had made, who allowed that promise to continue. No, just imagine if Noah had fallen in with everyone else. 
Just imagine. Well, I don't think we have to imagine much. We all, individually, have such an important role and responsibility in the will of God being carried out. Hopefully, there, is, there, there are some people here that were recipients of your faithfulness, just as we are the recipients of Noah's faithfulness, because you found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and you were obedient. You did what God said. And as a result, people and their families, and to whatever extent you have represented God, have been saved. Guys, the work and effort of one Christian has changed the course of whole families. Whole families who were headed in the pattern of those before them and those before them. But you knew what God said and you knew the love of God and you stood and proclaimed God's righteousness. And as a result, their whole family changed course. That family can now consist of gospel preachers, elders, you name it. And the seed promise continues by the efforts of an individual righteous person or a group of individual righteous people, just as we see here. So Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And as we know, and as we've already said, it would be from them that the world would be repopulated. So we find a continuation of that spiritual beginning as we've talked about those two. Then in Genesis 8 and verse 17, bring uh, out with you every living uh, thing of all flesh that is with you. Remember, God made provisions. Uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his sons are going to repopulate the earth and their wives. And so God is now going to give another creation. Look, I'm giving you the animals again, just as I did with Adam. You're going to have all these things. You're going to multiply upon the earth, just as I commanded at my, uh, my creation, Adam and Eve. And so now there's a new beginning. And in ver- uh, chapter 9 and verse 7. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it. Noah, what I gave to Adam, now I want you to do. And so from Noah, we find Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, and of course, that line will continue and continue. And from that lineage, from Ru and Surig and Nahor and Terah, we find a man by the name of Abraham. Brother Bob, you said how long? How much? What, what, what's the time? Okay. Now we're introduced to a man named Abraham. Remember Paul mentioned him back in Genesis 3? I just thought it was important for us to go before Abraham and lead up to Abraham. So we can see the events that transpired before Abraham and what happened to lead us up to Abraham. Without Noah, there would be no Abraham. Without the faith of an individual, without the faith of a man named Seth, without his son beginning to call on the name of the Lord, You get the picture. Without you, without me, what hope does this world have, brethren? Without Noah being righteous, you think God would have waited 120 years? Do we realize that as Christians, we could be the ones or the reason why this earth is still standing? Well, I don't know that. No, we don't. But we do know God. And we do know his promise. I think it's an amazing thought for Christians to realize that perhaps not only the long-suffering and faithfulness of God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, but that we perhaps are responsible for the preservation, the hope 
the hope that God has. We live in a world just like in the days of Adam, uh, uh, Noah. This world is evil. It's terrible. People are doing atrocities that we can't even name. And yet here we are as a light to this world. Don't ever take for granted your role and responsibility in God's plan. Ever take that for granted. And always be diligent to carry it out. So, in Genesis 12, uh, we're introduced to Noah. God makes a threefold threefold promise to Abraham. One that, again, Paul was mentioning. One that we see that will stretch forth throughout the remainder of God's revelation. Now, the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy, uh, out of thy country, or your country rather, for, and from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse them who curse you. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. That threefold promise that we're aware of. Land, a great nation, and that Seed promise. I'm going to stop right there if that's okay. Uh, Good stopping point for me. All right, now remember this. We'll continue uh, and look at the remainder of these things as we continue our lesson.